Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. everyone and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host Lori LeBay and I'm thrilled you can join us today. If you liked our opening music it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. If you're new to our show Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information not just sound bites. We like to, like to talk with people all around the world and hear their stories. What are their thoughts? What are they doing to make the world a better place when it comes to dementia? So maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. Feel free to reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I always like to do a couple of shout outs. So um, one, I want to just uh, make sure that people know that Moz Ventures is still taking applications for seed money. So if you have an idea or a concept, they have three major categories they're looking at, but you can check them out at modsventures.org and maybe you'll get 50 to $100,000 to start your project. I also want to mention that Alzheimer Speaks has finally launched our new website. So please check it out, alzheimerspeaks.com. We have a page specifically for free resources and you will find so much great information there as well as information on events and programs and consulting and branding. Um, So again, pass the word, alzheimerspeaks.com. Check it out. There's share buttons. We'd love to have you follow us as well. And if you like camping, the memory camp at Moon Beach is going to be open for people with dementia and their families. This has been a, a really wonderful, wonderful program. It is August 15th through the 18th, and to register, you can call 715-479-8255. We're going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we will be right back. I love the foot bar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest, there are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. 
Okay, we are back, and I am thrilled uh, to introduce you to our guests today who are all overseas again. We are going to be talking about cultural activities and how to create social inclusion by tapping into that. And we have two experts with us today. Oliver Constant, who holds his master's degree in social science with a specialization in medical uh, sociology and a master's in film studies and uh, visual culture as well. And for almost 10 years now, he has been responsible for the communication policy of the Flanders Center of Expertise on Dementia. And the center itself has officially partnered with organizations like the Flemish government, which is in Belgium, um, that works and spreads research, good practices, and clear communication tools about caring for people with any type of dementia. And also with him today is Elena Duray, and she is an engaging and very interesting speaker. And she focuses on the theme of dementia as well. Not only is she very active in the field, uh, she founded and is leading an organization where students and individuals with young onset do meaningful activities together. And this they do in various cities in Belgium. And Elena and her cousin, Elaine Lassett from California, wrote a book called Courage for the Caregiver. So I'm really excited to have both of them with us today. Well, listen, I am so excited to have the two of you with us. I appreciate the time difference and coordinating this so we can get this done. I think it's so important that people hear what's going on around the world. And you two are doing some pretty fabulous work. So Oliver and Elena, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Appreciate it. Now, I always start out every show by asking if people have been personally touched by dementia in their own family and circle of friends. And so, Oliver, I'm going to let you go first with that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, well, for me personally, um, I've been touched um, uh, with Alzheimer's uh, within my family, but it's really like years ago when it was actually uh, way before I started working for um, the organization, uh, the Flemish Expertise Center on Dementia. And uh, to be honest, for me, um, in my memory, it was really like a, a pretty heavy experience because we, we never spoke about the world, the word Alzheimer's in our family. It was really like um, uh, a taboo. And, 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 and the way um, it was with my grandmother that she was treated back then, but, it, but it's really like uh, quite a long time ago, was not how it should be. But for me, that was really also like a kind of accelerator to join the expertise center for uh, an, an awareness raising campaign. It's uh, I've been working here now for 10 years um, just to also broaden the picture of dementia. I mean, obviously there, there's lots of negative things on dementia, but there, there's also uh, another uh, story. And, and, and I, I had a chance to really know the other story apart from my personal experience during the years that I worked for the expertise center. But um, to come back to my personal experience, yes, but it, it wasn't even called dementia or Alzheimer's then. It was, we, we weren't really, we didn't really know what was going on back then, but I guess that's lots uh, of due to the taboo that uh, was um, um, way more heavy back then. I talk about 15 years ago than it is now. So 
Yeah, I had that same experience with a, a great aunt. And, and back then they just said, well, you know, it's aging. She's going senile. This is what happens when you get old. And it, like you said, it didn't really have a name. It was just it was just a natural flow is kind of how it was described to me. I know. Yeah. And then just to add one more thing. I mean, um, back then she, uh, my grandmother got lots of medication and that was also one of the reasons why she deteriorated. So, so it, it, it's really like, well, not really um, um, a good experience, but um, to be honest, you also have to take the learning points from it. And even up until today, like that, that personal experience, and I guess that will be recognizable for people all across the world, once you have been touched by a dementia in one way or another, it really sticks with you and it can be also an accelerator to move forward in another way. And that's for me like also uh, like my drive in my day-to-day job for the expertise center. Yeah, it's interesting how many people are personally touched and then step into this space. Um, Elena, how about you? My husband had dementia for countless years. I really cannot uh, recall how long it was, but I th- think the first signals, you know, in retrospect, when I look back, it started, the early signal started in 95. So that is quite a long time. And he passed just for COVID started. And all the time I cared for him at home. He always stayed at home till his last day. And um, halfway the process, I started, um, I wanted to give meaning to our new situation. So I started to become active in the field of dementia. And as uh, Olivier always says, I'm not active, I'm hyperactive. (laughs) So every single day, my life is um, organized around projects for dementia. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you both for your work. I'm going to start out, Oliver, with you. If you can tell us the the mission of your project for dementia cultural mediation and and what does that mean and and what do you do? Well, maybe if it's helpful, I'll briefly introduce the organization for which I work, um, like for the viewers. So I've been active for 10 years uh, for the Flanders Expertise Center on Dementia. And we are located in the Dutch-speaking part of Belgium. As you know, we're a pretty complicated country. Um, So, And and what we do as an organization, we're actually the the official partner of the Flemish government to develop um, and also roll out a dementia strategy. So last year, we released a new dementia strategy. and, And as an organization, actually, our main mission is to build bridges between what's happening um, in the academic world, in science and daily care practice. And and, and when I say building bridges, I mean it uh, in both ways. So not only translating what happens in science to the daily care practice, but mainly um, being proactive. So really like detecting the needs uh, of people with dementia, of informal caregivers, of healthcare professionals, and bringing them up proactively to um, um, science, but also to the policy level. So, and my main mission within our organization is uh, awareness raising on dementia and also um, the coordination of our working group of people with dementia. And um, um, a third big pillar is the whole dementia friendly uh, community work. And and I think the project uh, Dementia and Cultural Mediation can be located like in between those three areas uh, where I'm active in um, because what we try to do in the project is really um, look at the beneficial effect of arts and culture on people with dementia, but also on informal caregivers. I think 
in, in lots of areas, uh, not only in Europe, but across the world, there are so many um, beautiful projects in this field. But the big question is, uh, we have to share the good practices and we have to make them more sustainable. And, and especially those two pillars are, are like um, the main focus um, of the project, uh, Dementia in Cultural Mediation. And, and, and what's really important for us as an organization, but for all the partners within the project is like the structural involvement of informal caregivers as the, you know, as the quality check throughout the whole project cycle. And, and obviously that's also the reason why Elena was part of the project reference group from the start to finish. And I think she's also the right person to look back at the journey uh, later on. Well, I love your mission. Um, you know, I got into this space in 2009 as a frustrated daughter going, there, there's got to be more people like our family. There's got to be way more support out there than anybody knows. And we've got to raise everybody's voice and, and be inclusive. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. I've also always really believed in the the social connection side of of making life better, not only for the person with dementia, but for the, the care partner as well. And you're, you know, bridging the science to the daily care, I think is, is a beautiful mission because sometimes I think our, our professionals talk over people's heads. They're using words they don't understand and acronyms we don't know about. And, and again, they're not necessarily telling us, how do, how do I live graciously on a day-to-day basis with this disease? You're telling me processes, you're, you know, you're giving me tasks of, of how it progresses, but you're really not helping me that much in my day-to-day life. And, you know, that's the struggle I've heard from, from families and the benefits of this um, arts and culture and, and the social side is just so beneficial. You hear it over and over again from pe- not only people living with dementia, but their care partners on what a difference those connections are making. So Elena, anything that you want to add about the organization? Well, I, I don't know if I can already speak, but one of the things that are so important to me is um, during the process we lived in at home, you know, we, we, I, had a, I had a slogan, living well with dementia at home or coping well with dementia at home. But over the years, I lost connection every now and then. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it so hard. And one of the things I think cultural mediation can help is uh, to reconnect again. Mm-hmm. To what you are doing, that there's the reception and that you can connect uh, by using uh, art and other things in cultural mediation. And it works so wonderfully well. You know, I would like to invite you guys. I just started something new that I'm doing and I only do it quarterly. Um, But if this would be um, applicable and you guys would want to participate, I'd I'd love to coordinate with you. But I actually am interviewing quarterly people around the world with dementia and they're displaying their art and they're showing all different types of art that they're doing, what they get out of it, how it makes them feel. And it's been really amazing and just beautiful the variety of things that they're doing is just absolutely incredible so um, please keep that that in mind um yeah, but this is wonderful and you know what i discovered that many people who seem to not like to talk anymore all of a sudden start talking again and happily so 
Yeah, it's kind of like that music piece. Everyone's kind of accepted that music can kind of lighten up the brain, but all forms of art, I think, uh, can do that. But, but, and I'm not a researcher. I'm just standing back as a, as a person from, from what I see and experience and, and hear there. Um, Oliver, let's talk about, you know, how did, how did the whole realization of your, your group come to be? I mean, we all get these little ideas, but, but how did you, how did you make it actually happen? <laughs> well, that's a long story. <laughs> no, well, to cut a long story short, I mean, we've been um, like the, the origins of the project were um, through the, the lead partner, which was um, Odense Libraries. And they're like the library situated in the Danish capital uh, of Odense. Uh, and, and, and so we started like a partnership with them. And obviously then we developed not only like uh, the whole project outline, but also involved like uh, the other partners. And maybe it's interesting just to situate the other partners in the project. So apart from us and the library from Odense, we also involved the University of Brussels, which is the other partner in Belgium. We also involved uh, the Institute of Gerontology in uh, San Sebastian in uh, Spain. And then um, last organization within the project consortium was uh, a Dutch organization called Healthy Aging Network Northern Netherlands. Phew. Long name, but I think the I think the the big um, benefit of this kind of partnership was like the the complementarity between um, the partners. So we had like an academic partner. We work. We are more related to the daily care practice, and you had the gerontological institute. Um, so and and but uh, one of the um, the key aims or ambitions um, during uh, like the development of the project was also the involvement of the end users. So that's why. Apart from a project group, we also had like, well, obviously also a steering group, but also a reference group. And I think the reference group was really like an important pillar within this project because they were really like the, the quality check throughout all that was developed um, um, within the two and a half years of the project. And they also had to be like, um, um, or they had to build bridges to the end users. Um, so, and that's obviously also why Elena, um, based on her experience, was part um, of this reference group. Well, and again, I think that's so important. You're bringing all those pieces together because a lot of times I think we, we put these packages together and we think we know what they need. And then we put it out there and go, well, why isn't it working? Well, why didn't you ask before he pushed it out, you know, for feedback and test it and, and have people be part of that. I mean, to me, you know, as a layperson, that's just common sense, but I can't believe how many years so many things have been pushed out that have never been tested, never asked for input. And that's so true. Yeah. And so elevating that voice and really coming to a true partnership is it's very different than just asking for feedback. Cause sometimes when you ask for feedback, you're like, well, I'll take that or I won't take that. But when there's a true partnership, you're really listening and, 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 you know, you're, you're out of that. I don't know. You, you step into a different level of partnership where it's okay to, to reorganize and redevelop um, to bring it to the level that you really wanted it to be versus I think so often we're, well, we've got a deadline and it's got to get pushed out. It's got to get pushed out right now. And, and I'm of the belief, and I don't know if you guys are, but I'm of the belief it's never, ever going to be perfect. And the moment we think it is, right. that's when we stop serving people. And so we should always right. be listening. 
with that. Um, Elena, do you have can some I, comments? Can I add to that? Yeah, please. Yeah, can I add to that, Lori? Please. Um, in the past, my husband and I were often asked to come for a quality check for things that were developed in a, we call it the think tank. And the final state, at the final state, you are invited to come. And if we had some comments or say, hey, I don't think there's, you make a real connection. They got angry because they worked years on end and it was so much money involved. And then we didn't just applaud or had um, some things to say about it. They got angry with us. And I think it's so important that before you start working that you involve the people in the target group themselves. Oh, I agree. I I, I refer to it as we're, you know, the, the experts are peeking in the window guessing what's going on in the house when we could just knock on the door and ask, you know, and, and find out. And like you said, when you when you start in the beginning, it just makes it so much easier and then no one's offended. And but but I think part of what I see here in the US anyways is this kind of closed box mentality. This, this is the way we've always done it. This is the structure we approach to projects. And the creativity has like just gotten smushed down. And there's so many great ideas and different approaches um, that I think can really enhance things. Um, Oliver, do you see that over there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and, and I think one of the benefits of like this kind of or within this field of project is like arts and culture. Obviously, it's not rocket science. And I think it's really like a like a rich field, not only to to um, um, tailor projects to, to people in different stages of dementia, but also like to involve like people with dementia, informal caregivers uh, from start to finish. Uh, in a project and actually that's also what we've tried to do um, like apart from Elena who was part of the reference group uh, we also try to involve like our Flemish working group of people with dementia and, and I was just thinking on like uh, one of our members uh, Chris who is part of our working group actually he worked uh, for years as an arts uh, history teacher um, um, so and, 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 and he once wrote me uh, like a quote and, 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 and I think his quote, and I'm going to try to translate it from Dutch to English, really sums up what this kind of value is for this project. He wrote me um, like the following uh, after his dementia diagnosis. He wrote me um, like I asked him, what is the value of arts and culture for someone with dementia? And, and he said, as an art historian, teacher and as an art lover, arts and culture are an integral part of my life. Dementia doesn't change the essence of who I am what I like and what gives my life meaning. In fact, every person is an artist and creatively shapes his or her own life. Art can be healing and it helps us to give things a place. Actually, life itself is one big process of shaping and sculpting. And I think this quote from, from Chris who lives with dementia really also sums up like the mission we had at the start of this project. It was really like for us a first step like exploring the value the good practices that are available and now a next step could be like making them um, or, or transferring them to other areas and obviously that's why we're also happy to introduce the project uh, for your audience. I love that quote. I think it's right on and I think it's so overlooked. I, I think so often when we when there's a medical diagnosis we think it has to be um, a medical you know or uh academic fix instead of something that's already in our life that brings us joy and 
purpose right. and that joy and purpose and engagement. I mean, that's what fills our heart. That's what makes us want to live that, you know, and, and again, I'm just kind of surprised for how long that piece has been out of the equation. And it's so fun to see that really being pulled in and then for even scientific research to back that up going, yeah, this is a, a really, really powerful modality that makes a difference mm -hmm. in people's lives. Right. Lori, I so much would like dementia to, to push it away from the medical direction and, 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 and push it in the direction of the quality of life. Oh, agree. Agree. I, I mean, I think, I think that that's something we need to teach in our schools, the talk of quality of life and what does that mean to us, period, because it's such a foreign piece. And people I know here in the U.S., they don't really address that until it's like, okay, let's do your health care directives. And then they're like, I don't want to talk about that because you're talking about end of life. But it's like, you know, it's way bigger than that. It's, it's thinking about what brings you pleasure on a day-to-day -day basis. And it doesn't have to be big, flashy stuff. Sometimes it's just sitting quietly and relaxing. We have a man over here um, who's been living with dementia, gosh, close to 20 years now. His name is Harry Urban. And he has a Facebook group called Forget Me Not. And one of my favorite quotes of Harry is, you know, I like to relax before I got dementia. I still do. <laughs> you don't have to keep me busy all the time. But I think those busy tasks that we all are told that we should do make us give us comfort like we're doing something instead of building on our relationships we tend to and I know I did with my mom's disease for 30 years in the beginning I, I tend to tended to give over my relationship and get really task oriented and I had all this this busyness and then when I finally realized to let go of that and just be present with her everything changed everything became richer and right. um and almost on a on a spiritual level with that so right. um let's talk a little bit about the the journey in terms of can you give us oliver some examples of of culture and cultural activities um that you're elevating and um because i think sometimes people think oh okay that's a good idea and then they walk away and go Well, what the heck did that really mean? You know, how do I really put that into practice? And one of the right. things I like to do with Alzheimer's Speaks is to really get people's um, mission and work out there so people understand it, because I, I think so much of what we do can be duplicated in other areas. And, mm -hmm. um, and every community is a little bit different. So mm -hmm. if you can expound on that, that would be wonderful. Well, I think you have two kinds of journeys. The one journey is the project itself. Obviously, mm -hmm. uh, like when we started at the end of 2019, we had like a start of meeting in um, Odense in Denmark. And then there was a certain virus, obviously, which stopped every <laughs> life activity. And as you can imagine, like for arts and culture, which are really like located uh, like in the moment and you have to experience it, it was really like, um, and I think Elena will agree on this, a big challenge to to exchange like these ideas and good practices online. But nevertheless, we managed to move forward and, 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 and exchange like within the whole project, like 30 good practices. Um, mm -hmm. So six um, 
projects from each partner and, and maybe it's interesting just to give some examples. Uh, I guess the reference from the website will also be added to the YouTube video so everybody can find all the 30 projects on the website. But um, for instance, from Flanders, we, we introduced like a theater project, uh, which was made by people with young onset dementia. And I think that's really a good example of the, the philosophy behind the project. I mean, um, uh, we try to look through the perspective of people with dementia themselves and not through our own perspective. And, and, and that's also like the message like th this kind of theater place tries uh, to bring across. So that's one uh, example. Another example is like, for instance, like a, a painting workshop who uh, is run in a residential care center uh, here in Flanders. Um, uh, there were contact choirs involved. Uh, so it's really like we had a poetry project. So it's really like a, a big variety, not only of artistic expressions, but also, and I think that's important to point out, for the different um, 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 stages of dementia. I mean, when people can't express themselves verbally anymore, art and culture offer so many opportunities to still get in touch with people. And, and we, we tried um, um, to also incorporate this kind of projects that focus more on the nonverbal communication as well. So, so we try not only to bring a variety of artistic expressions, but also um, communication-wise, like tailor it to the different stages uh, of dementia, because in the end, it's all about inclusion within this kind of project, and, and you have to stay true to the philosophy. So that's why uh, we also uh, try to focus on those non-verbal communication, and, and, and maybe also it's important to add that apart from uh, all the video introductions that people can find on the website, we also um, developed uh, detailed project sheets, and you were talking about transferability, duplication, and, and, and the aim of these project sheets, these people can pick and choose, actually. I mean, I can imagine that a project that works in Antwerp will be, will be different in your area and will be different again when you introduce it in Eastern Europe or whatsoever. But I guess people can find ideas and inspiration and, and, and just pick and choose maybe some elements and, and start maybe at a smaller level and, and then elaborate further on that. So actually we tried also to incorporate um, like this kind of gradual um, steps to move forward. And, 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 and again, all the project sheets are freely available on the website. So I guess that's also interesting to add. Well, and that's wonderful. I think, you know, over here so often people are, this is my stuff and I don't want anybody duplicating it, you know, and the, what I found is through throughout the world, so many other countries, I mean, are so willing to share. And I think that is so valuable. And, and even when I, I talk with people on this, they're like, well, you know, we, we have everything we need locally. And I'm like, we wouldn't have dementia friendly communities and we wouldn't have memory cafes if we weren't talking with people out of our country, because those were not our concepts. And they're, and they're like shocked because it's almost like we've been told we are the creator of all over here and it's like we're, we're not <laughs> you know none of us are and we all have things to learn and new stuff is coming online constantly when I went on your website I was just shocked at the amount of detail and the thought that went into um, not just the education but the shareability and I, I I'm a big believer in sharing and inspiring others um, you know, when we see other people doing things, 
it makes us think, well, well, maybe I could do that, you know, or, or maybe we could start something like that. And, you know, it might look a little bit different, but, but it should, you have a different community, you have a different need, everything shouldn't be just this, yeah. you know, bed in a bag type thing where, you know, you're going to spread it out, and it's all going to look the same. That's pretty boring. Yeah, I think also if I just can add that, um, I mean, when we talk about this kind of um, um, project journey of the different good practices, I think it's important to to have like an open perspective. And, and, and I mean by that, that it's not only about the success factors of a project. It's not like, hooray, our project is fantastic. We also have to stay critical. And, and that's one of the elements that we try also to take into account when we talk about a different project. You have like opportunities and you have barriers and I think people can also learn a lot from the barriers or, or the things that we uh, came across to and that's why why we try to be also open about uh, it's uh, also on the project website because uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit later on on the lessons learned of the project but it's not that everything was was perfect far from perfect but it, it's more like as I told earlier like a first step and and, and we talk openly also about these barriers opportunities mm-hmm. uh, at the different levels and I think that's also really uh, important from pe- for people in other countries. And Laurie I would like to add something on what you said uh, before that is um, my, my husband and I traveled a lot for dementia uh, all over the world so Olivier travels for dementia but we did also and we participated in uh, numerous programs and sometimes we didn't have a language in common but mm-hmm. even so, we I knew when something was good, when it moved us, and when my husband was touched, and when he was involved, even without a, 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 the same language. And that is so important. That's how I looked at the programs. I looked at, the, is there a connection? Am I sure that there's reception from the target group? Is it affordable? Is it duplicable? Because we in Europe, uh, not every country has the same... Uh, um, standard, the level of how do you say that, what you can spend in your life. So we also have some more poor countries. And uh, were there things that would be good for them? Can they duplicate this? Um, and is it good for them? Will that touch their people? And um, in the United Kingdom, there's a lot of research about uh, effects on people with dementia. So they have good projects and good research on um, modern culture and object handling, so both really modern, modern culture, uh, uh, sculptures, and very old objects are really good, and it works in every country. We, we, we did a tryout in many countries. So it's not about um, it's being uh, for the United States or it's not being for Europe, but it's applicable for many countries. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I think that was a good point that you brought up about language and stuff, too, because I think... I think one of the things that people are taught, if they if they want to learn it or not, but to tap into those nonverbal communications, you know, with dementia and realizing we we communicate, you know, more so with our nonverbals than we do words, but we seem to elevate our need for words from people with dementia mm-hmm. and which puts mm-hmm. a lot of pressure and stress and increases their symptoms. And I mean, we can really be problematic in, in that point. And when we can just look at them as a whole person, you know, it just makes everything, everything so different. I, I really, it would be so interesting if we could have shown it because uh, the modern art project, that was also part of it, 
you know, the modern art itself doesn't speak, but all the people involved started speaking. Yep. Because the guides were so wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I know we have um, uh, several museums that, you know, do tours and things too. And people, they, they adore that. I mean, one, it's just, is just the, the ability to go out and be normal, do something, you know, kind of normal that they used to do. And it doesn't feel different. And, um, you know what, the place where you are welcome again, because with dementia, so often you are not that welcome anymore. Your old, uh, your old group of friends or your old, in the old, the old structures you were at. But then all of a sudden you have a reason to dress up again, to go to the hairdresser and go to a nice place. And be with peers. People are in the same situation. You are either a caregiver or somebody with dementia, but you are in the same situation. And that is wonderful. That's worked so well. Yeah, we have a group in um, Colorado, uh, Dementia Together, and they worked with the symphony. And they would do a little kind of pretest just on mood when they came and then when they left. And, and the results were just amazing. And they found that um, moods even elevated as time went on when they, you know, continued to come because they would be excited to come back again to the program. True. But when they left um, and she says, some of them just didn't want to leave. They just wanted to sit around and talk and talk and talk and talk because they were so engaged. Some of this stuff is so simple to be able to do and to coordinate, but it, but it takes somebody kind of with that that vision and that persistence, you know, to pull it together. But boy, the, the joy and the calmness feeling of belonging is huge. It's like medication, but differently, but it has an effect and a side effect and an after effect, because uh, when you get home, you're still in that good mood. Uh, the emphasis is not on dementia, but it's about having fun and being together. And yeah. it, it has some hours of effects. And sometimes the next week, they are already looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's got that ripple effect. So it's not just the person with dementia, but it's their loved ones and, right. and, and everybody around them. Where with the medication, I don't even think we're, you know, if it works, we don't, you know, when, when, when that does happen, people aren't really attributing it to anything but this is a, an actual event. And I think it gives people a, a sense of control and comfort. And again, just being able to live graciously, to be able to enjoy life. And it's a, it's a subtle thing, but it's so heartfelt. In our private life, it, um, it uh, replaced medication. When mm -hmm. I started to use culture and music, I stopped medication and I never gave it again the last 10 years. Yeah, and I think when you talk about the beneficial effects, like one of the, um, at the start, I talked about the sustainability of this kind of projects. And, 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 and that's really like still a big challenge. Um, 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 there are so many good practices and we can talk for hours about the beneficial effects of different kind of uh, projects. But the thing is, obviously, when you want to make something sustainable, people want to try to quantify the effects in one way or another and maybe it's also interesting to point out that we, um, at the end of this project, we developed a publication. And, and, and one of the key elements of the publication is, is not only like kind of state of the art within research of different artistic forms, but also what are the opportunities and the barriers of 
like quantifying the effects because you, you can try to quantify everything. But as you know, it's not that easy with this kind of project. But on the other hand, it's like really like um, uh, all, almost a must to make them sustainable. So I, I think that's really like a balance you have to find. And, and we try to address that also uh, in the final publication uh, of this project, which is again, free for download also in English on the website. So um, maybe that's also interesting to take a look at. after this conversation. Oh, definitely. Well, and I think when it comes to research, sometimes we think it has to be so complicated, but I think, and, and again, I don't know if this happens over there, but like here you go in and they might do some screening tests and they're just asking you one to 10, how do you feel? I mean, we can do stuff like that, that you know can show meaning for both the person with dementia and their care partner, you know, to see the difference and really and invalidate that um, without blood work, you know, or without, you know, having to do a PET scan to see if their brains lighten up a little dirt. It doesn't have to be that complicated if we just listen to people and really take right. that in stride. And I mean, I would love, love, love to see where we get to the point where a prescription could be written for cultural activities you know, instead of it always has to be a pill. Um, do you know that there are doctors in England who do that for overweight people? Mm-hmm. They, gave them, they give them a prescription that's a year pass for a largest museum, so they have to walk. Oh, interesting. We haven't, <laughs> I, we haven't gotten that far with, with thinking past uh, pharma, I don't think, that I, to my knowledge here in the, in the U.S. So saying, you know, rather than the 10% of probably less people that have effect from the medication for Alzheimer's. I would love to see doctors and neurologists sending them away so you don't ever have to come back again. Mm-hmm. But this is a forever prescription. Participate in a cultural mediations. Go participate in a choir in music. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, and you don't have to worry about side effects, you know, with other medications and True. different things too. You know, the, the health benefits are in uh, such a, a wide array, but, you know, we we're kind of in this pattern of, well, we've always done it this way. And, you know, to me, the world is so upside down right now. It's like, you know, we're, we're shaking the brown paper bag going, okay, everything's falling out. And we're going to have to repack this because there's not one entity. I don't think that's working smoothly from government to education, to religion, to whatever. I mean, everything is just kind of gone cray cray. And, um, you know, right now would be an ideal time to repack, reanalyze, and just rethink of how and why we're delivering services and get rid of that. But we've always done it this way, you know. Yeah, and, and I think not only the thing like we've always done it this way, but I think one of the aims of this kind of projects or one of the side effects could be like really like the, the change in perspective. I mean, in care, we always think, based on the best intentions, like we have a problem and we're going to try to find a solution. But Elena knows it better than me. With dementia, it doesn't work that way. And I think these kind of projects also challenge us like to, to alter the perspective, but, but that, that's like a, a change in attitude. And I guess this takes time, but um, we hope also through this kind of project that we can have a little bit of effect on that change of attitude, because I think that's really like a must when you really want to enter the world of people with dementia and look through their perspective. One of my goals with Alzheimer's Speaks, my tagline is to shift care from crisis to comfort. 
and it's a real simple thing to do and it doesn't have to be real complicated and and why we're not including the families who know the person the best in that equation has always flabbergasted me and asking them what do they like what instead of how do we fix it how do we support it and so much of our fixes sometimes can add stress that can actually increase symptoms for people and for families, you know, for all the hoops and stuff that they have to jump through versus, you know, doing this type of engagement where they can also be supported with others who are like-minded and understand and who are compassionate and kind. I mean, people with dementia want the same thing the rest of us do. They want to fit in they want to have purpose, they want to belong, that has to come up to the top of the equation of how are we going to serve. And I think it's really been pushed down to the bottom. And I think we are bubbling that back up to the top. But, you know, like Oliver said, it's kind of a slow process, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen overnight, but there's more and more voices and organizations that are speaking out and and feeling um, more comfortable talking about this. And I, I, I think that that's um, just so, so critical. Also, and maybe one of the, maybe that's also one of the lessons learned at the end of this project. I think it's always uh, like, a, like a challenge to find the right balance between like, you know, like stimulating the autonomy of the mm-hmm. person in every stage of dementia, also in the later stages, and also like uh, always accepting the limitations of each person. And I think, this kind of, of project, like in arts and culture, can help us to find that balance. And, 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 and I mean, in daily care, that's really like a challenge because people have the pressure of time and, and money and so on and so on. But I think what I've learned from people with dementia during the 10 years that I work uh, at the expertise center, that is really, that's so important for them. For them. And not only that, but also not being uh, or not patronizing so really like respecting their own voice and their own experience and like Elena said earlier in the interview involving them from the start and these are for me like really like lessons learned also from this project and and, and when there will be maybe a next step I think we have to really like expand the involvement of the end users um, um, we try to do it within this project but I think it can be uh, more structurally and I guess Elena will agree with me on Definitely. You know, when um, what you said is true, rather than said putting people in the waiting room for the doctor, we should um, involve them. I know when dementia enters your life, it's like a small earthquake, <laughs> but we should help people and invite them and come out of your crying zone and enter the groups where you can ha- have fun and enjoy life But because there are many good years ahead of you. We always focus on the last stage in the media, but we should focus on all the years that are still ahead of you, where you can travel, where you can participate in the cultural activities, where you have fun. And for me personally, I think it's not only the effect on uh, the person with dementia, but also the effect on me. Because I met other people who were in my situation, it helped me. I had something to look forward to. I Oh, next month I will go again. On Sunday, we have this wonderful thing again. And it helped me. And I think many people in my situation um, now care longer at home. They wait quite a while because they know others are doing the same thing. We role model to others. And they say, hey, if you can do it at 
home, I can do it too. It is so beneficial for, for, for many sides. Yeah, I agree. And when Oliver said, you know, accept the limitations and, and you're really enhancing the abilities. And so often we tell people, you know, we'll just let it go, accept it. And, but we're not, but, but people aren't leading by example. And I think when you lead by example and they can actually physically see and feel the difference, that's when the change happens, but just spewing words at people of this is what you should do when they haven't walked in your shoes it isn't helpful for for most people because they you know how do I apply that how do I make that happen you have to you have to like open the door and let them see why that is so important and and how it can make their lives easier as well you know, with that. Um, That's a very important part of it, the warm welcome. We always, in every project we do, we have, uh, before we start a a project, we want um, them to have a warm welcome. Mm -hmm. That's so important, specifically for the people who come the first time. Hey, I'm welcome. They see me here. They are not interested in where I live and what I did in life or how much money I have, but they just like me because the person the person who I am today yeah well I remember just an example with our with our memory cafe we would always get the room set up and you know ready to go and then one day we sat back and go we're taking that away from them they love to get here early and they want to help and so then we stopped and that you know they loved that they were they were part of the whole thing and and sometimes we overprotect without even knowing what it is we're doing. And we take away instead of, instead of, you know, enhancing their lives and letting them feel that they're part, if it's setting up, if it's taking down, if it's, you know, inclusion during, you know, whatever levels it is, but some of it is just really, really simple little things. And like you said, a, common smi- sense. A, a smile and a welcome how tough is that? And yet we've all been to things where you, where you don't even feel welcome, let alone a person with dementia. So, you know, the impact that it has. I think also what Elena is saying is especially important when we, when we look at this kind of projects, Um, often people are involved, uh, for instance, from a residential care center Mm -hmm. or it is located in a residential care center. But often people living at home with dementia, which is like in Belgium, like 70% of the, the population uh, of the people with dementia, it's often more difficult to involve them structurally because they experience often like, like shame, isolation, and, and it's not like a structural offer, like for instance, for like a care home. And, and, and that's really like one of the key things in this project that we also want to address, especially like with the whole coronavirus crisis, uh, which also had really like an impact uh, on this project, uh, like also uh, removing the barriers for people living at home and make it much easier to to involve them in this kind of project. I think that's not only a challenge in Belgium or in other countries, but across the world. So I think that's really like important. And it's often like Elena is saying, like in small things, like a warm welcome and then also stimulating them to, to, to be involved at the start of the activity and, and Small things are big changes for people with dementia. I know it sounds like like a cliche, maybe, but but that's the truth. So, um, oh, I, very I, much. I, so. Yeah, yeah. So, and often, as you say, we make it way too complicated. <laughs> so, in that stop, sense, uh, you know what? Common sense. Stop looking at them as patients. They are ordinary yeah, people, just like you and me. 
I agree. I'll, I'll never forget um, one gentleman was saying, and this isn't arts and culture, but this was a business thing, but this is just to the basics of, of the core of how we treat people. And he was meeting with his financial planner and he had his wife with him and the financial planner would not even, you know, would not even acknowledge she was there. No eye contact, no hi, Annie, no nothing. And he finally stopped the conversation and said, I'm firing you. And the guy was shy. He had been with him for years. And he said, why? He's like, because you're not respecting my wife. And when you don't respect her, you don't respect me and you don't deserve my business. And he just got up and left. And it's just those small little things are so impactful. And I was so proud of him for standing up for himself. But he, he is, he, you know, he was talking about, you know, my, my stomach was just getting upset, just sitting there worried about her because I knew she could take all of that in, that she wasn't part of the conversation. They and, know, they feel it. The yeah. emotions are so strong. I mean, um, they are much stronger than we think. Now, one of the things, you know, we had talked about was sustainability. Um, have you found some some barriers with that at all, Oliver, with the project? Well, you have like the obvious barriers like uh, time, organizational structures and so on and so on. But but I think it's more interesting to look more at the, 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 the micro level like mm -hmm. of the care relation. And there we, we conducted like focus groups with different people, also with people with dementia, but also with healthcare and cultural mm -hmm. professionals and, and and there often it's like what we talked about like like the last minutes it's often like the the, the attitude of people or or like really like the the stereotype perspective on people with dementia um that was really like a barrier so really like on more on the one-to-one -one contact level and, and 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 for me that's really like I, I think that's a massive opportunity to move forward in changing the perspective because i mean the foundations are there within this project and it's really like trying to enhance that shift in attitude and and, and, and that's what we learned during those uh, digital focus groups that often people uh, need like um, really like simple communication tools and we also try to include on the website like communication tips which for us may sound obvious but they aren't because otherwise everybody would be doing it so so I think maybe for the audience it's it's more interesting to look at the micro level, for instance, of a care setting of a museum or whatsoever, and then looking at what we can change in the relationship with people with dementia, apart from the obvious barriers like lack of money or, 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 or things like that. So um, I think that's maybe the most interesting uh, of the lessons learned from my personal perspective. I, I still find over here in the U.S. that... Um... You know, everyone thinks they're collaborative, but they're really not it, it, near as much as they could be. And so even like organizations will hear about something and they'll think it's good, but they don't pass it on because it's not theirs. And what I find is for a lot of these creative projects, it, the word of mouth from individuals living with dementia is really what makes them sustainable in terms of feeding um, and getting people in it. Absolutely. It's, it's not so much the professional line that is there. And no, to it, me, you know, that hasn't changed much in 40 years since I was, you know, part of this. And 
you know, that's one of the reasons we created Dementia Map was to to try to get those global resources out there so people can search. And, and I can't remember if you're part of that yet or not, but we would love to have your group listed in there um, because we just- Yeah, not yet. We should, we should move forward on that one. But I just wanted to add to what you were saying, uh, Laurie. I think that that's a key point also. It, it's almost like the marketing, if I can call it that way, mm -hmm. of this kind of project. I think it's really important to, to um, give like the end users they're like the tools in hand. Like uh, we wrote like a chapter in the publication on storytelling. Mm -hmm. And for us, storytelling is really like uh, looking through the perspective of what is the added value for the person with dementia of this or that project. And, and that's also, again, like a shift. It, it, it's not for a professional to say, oh, that, that's for me, like the most important thing. It's for the end user. And I think that's really a shift we uh, still have to make. Well, not only in Belgium, but across the globe, like really involving the end users as a quality check, but also in the communication and, and, and the marketing of a project. I, I think that can enhance also the sustainability. Uh, at least that's our experience within this project. At first, I wasn't sure this would be a good match, but on, on my um, educational resources page, we have this dementia in the arts thing. And I think I'm going to put a link to, to you guys there because I think it, it will inspire some other people to look at things differently. And I think that that's so, so important. You know, just, it doesn't, like Elena was saying, it doesn't have to be complicated. It, you know, we really just have to get back to common sense and basics and in, in what's working and what's not. What makes people feel safe? What makes people feel happy? You know, those aren't tough things to evaluate if we just slow down. But we, we dive in so much deeper and make it so much more complicated um, than it than it needs to be, and I think if we can get more people on board in terms of sharing all these different resources, it makes all of our jobs easier, and it makes their lives much better. And we can, you know, we can improve what we're good at instead of trying to do maybe what we're not so good at, but we know it's a good idea and and it needs to be out there instead of really letting people do do what they do well or picking up the phone or having a, a zoom conversation with you guys to learn more if that's what they need you know visit a site look at possibilities instead of i think so often we look at what's not possible and we have all kinds of excuses to procrastinate not but, go right yeah but i also find that when you when you do something you're passionate about it doesn't feel like work and you get so much joy, you know, out of, out of seeing the impact. But I think, especially in today's market, you know, people are so overwhelmed with the amount of work because they have no purpose and they don't feel respected and appreciated and all of those things. You get all that stuff in, in the industry of dementia, if your heart's in the right spot. And I think just to add to, uh... On a quick note, Laurie, I mean, lots of lessons learned for us in this project is about finding the balance between different things. I mean, you talked about the safe environment a minute ago. Mm -hmm. I think, again, yes, that's important, but you have to find a balance between what I call security and well-being. I think the whole coronavirus oh, yeah. crisis, that's the biggest lesson of the whole coronavirus crisis. But it's the same for arts and cultural projects. You still have to give people challenges, people with dementia can still learn, they want to discover new things, also mm -hmm. in the later right. stages. 
and and often like in the in the care for people with dementia we tend to rewind the movie all the time and that's okay like all the reminiscence activities but there's a a whole other palette of, of artistic expressions that can still challenge people with dementia. I think, again, there you have to find a balance between safe environment, but also challenging people. You know. Yeah, from the day I started to realize that uh, the culture and music would add something to our lives, I started to enjoy living with dementia. And I invite, I'm very active in inviting and involving other people and they all experience the same. They are so happy that they are involved. And your program, I like it so much, Alzheimer Speaks. It makes people speak again. It gives them a voice again. It, it is wonderful. Oh, thank you. Well, I think one of the things that is neat about art is it's always, you know, the standard phrase is, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder. There's no right or wrong. And right. yet with everything else in, in life, there's a right and there's a wrong that we've been taught. And there are standards. And with art, what I have learned through this, this dimension, the arts program that I do, is some people haven't done, you know, they weren't artistic at all. And they just got involved with it. And right. Some of their work's just magnificent. I mean, mm -hmm. like to the point it should be commissioned. And, but I think part of it is with dementia, they get to the point of the ego has left the building and they just really don't care what someone, right. you know, they, they're living in the moment and they're going to find joy. They're going to find peace. And they, they really um, have learned how comforting that can be when they're in that moment and, and they just, you know, dive in, but it is, it is absolutely incredible. And it makes me sad for like, my daughter was a, uh, an activities director and she was told, well, you can't put their artwork up, you know, cause it's not professional. Oh, no. You will spend thousands of dollars on commissioned work instead of highlighting what your people do and you could even buy different frames where things could be you know if you wanted it to look fancier and switch things out but it was like oh oh no that that doesn't look good and it's like oh my gosh but so much of what happens I think in the world of dementia is we don't explain the whys why are we doing these things you know mm -hmm. behind and and that just makes such a huge difference if we educate people on the whys that this is powerful and this was done by such and such and take them down a different path, one of hope and comfort and joy. One of, one of the things in our project was where they made art mm -hmm. and the uglier the result, the nicer the, the frame was. Uh -huh. so, so if the work wasn't that nice, they, they, they put it in a exclusive frame so it still looked nice oh I know that I took my daughter to a um a, I don't know was we went and painted one day and she was we were struggling in our relationship she was a teenager and she's like I don't want to go and I'm like you're going we're going and we both painted and I put them in frames they are like the dearest thing to my heart and they look magnificent. I mean, but on their own, they're on their own, they look okay. But in the frames, you know, they really, really, yeah, they, they really, really so proud of it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just think we need so much more of this. What haven't we covered Oliver that we should? Well, I, th I think we covered a, a lot. Um, um, I was thinking about, we talked about the project output in the meantime, 
uh, as well, uh, I guess. So um, obviously we're curious to know what other people across the globe find of, of the, the projects that we uh, develop, because maybe we didn't talk about maybe the cultural specificness of, of some projects, but I, I think, again, that's an interesting thing to take into account. What works in Spain will work probably totally different in, in your area, in the USA. But, but again, that's like uh, one of the things we try to enhance with this kind of project, like also the, the intercultural learning points, uh, if that makes sense. Um, and also maybe in the future, expanding it also to other areas, uh, which are maybe uh, less, which have less financial uh, capacities, because now the project, obviously, it requires some resources. And I think we have to stay critical. And, and when we talk about transferability, I think there's um, um, still some work to do about making them um, gradual, also adaptable to other cultures and, and areas uh, around the globe. But for us, that's uh, obviously work in progress. But um, yeah, we're curious to hear uh, always uh, on the feedback. So uh, maybe it's interesting also to share the link to our YouTube channel. People mm -hmm. can find all the videos there and, and we welcome, obviously, all the feedback um, also from your audience. Now I have two websites for you. I have the dementia cultural mediation, but then yeah. there's there's another one. I don't know how you even pronounce it. This is our Flemish website that I sent. Uh, it's dementie.be. <laughs> but maybe we can alter that link to the YouTube page because that's really tailored to the international audience and this will be more relevant. And then we've got a LinkedIn contact, a Facebook and a Twitter for you. And then Elena, is there information that you would like to give people for contact information or just go through Oliver? Yes, but I'll go through Oliver. But Oliver probably didn't say that at the end, every country was responsible for organizing a day or in Denmark, they even did two days where mm -hmm. we presented the, the things we did to a, for a larger audience. Oh, I love that. I yeah, love the that. exchange of the good practices. Yeah, it was actually called learning, teaching and training. And then as I told uh, during uh, the item on the project, during, most of them were online, but luckily we had the chance to meet for one learning, teaching and training in the city of Groningen in the Netherlands. And then you really, yeah, you, you have to experience it. So, so that was really like, a benefit uh, for us um, to experience it for once uh, live, uh, but the other were like online through webinars uh, due to the coronavirus. Uh, but um, it's interesting that Elena points it out once again because these learning, teaching, and trainings actually were like the uh, the basics to develop like the project sheets that I talked about earlier, and we try to uh, also um, um, uh, not only look at like well what are the opportunities of a project, but what can be made better um, um, on, on different levels. So again, these lessons learned were also like the basis for the learning, teaching and training. That I was really strict at that. I was um, from the very beginning, I, I listened and looked if they used a, a respectful language all, all the time and consequently, because sometimes that um, people forget that, that you have to be respectful in everything you do, in your attitude, in all the words you choose, in everything you write. And, and that's what I always say to my students, do normal, behave normal and show respect. And that's what we should do with dementia. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Don't look down on them, but treat them with respect as they deserve. And then um, of course we also 
sometimes it wasn't even tried. You know, they, they developed it and they presented it. But some things are really well tested. And of course, I like that. There's one thing, the shared reading. I think it's applicable in every country. It's fantastic. Elena, do you want to give a plug for your book too? Oh, uh, no. It's, it's not about it today. Well, it's just, it's just another resource for people to be able to have. Oh, and... yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, my, my cousin from, um, she's from Escondido, California, and I, she, she cares for her mom and I for my husband. And when we met in tent, uh, we discovered that our care was the same. You know, we always say everything is different, but it was all the same, but it was for her mom. And then there was a lady from Japan, and she said, in Japan, it's the same. So we made a book courage for the caregivers, and it's still available. Wonderful. I, I love the work that you guys have done. I, I think it's just absolutely incredible, and that you've made it so shareable. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, with that thought in mind, where a lot of times um, people don't think about the importance of the shareability. And I think right. that is, I think that is really critical to shift our, our dementia care culture. And we, and we, there's not only, we don't only share, but we uh, actively encourage and invite people to come and participate. Well, thank you both for your time today. I really, really appreciate it to our listeners. I hope you like, click and share this. This was a really important conversation with some, I think, brilliant insights um, that can help us all in terms of looking at dementia differently and the, mm -hmm. in, you know, being inclusive, um, realizing our, our culture and our cultural activities are so important um, to, li to living well. And right. we, yeah. we can all make a difference there. So thank you, everyone. Yeah. I'd like to thank you on behalf of all the project partners, uh, Lori, for the interesting, uh, for the interesting, uh, well, the fascinating journey we traveled together with all the project partners during the two and a half years. And, 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 and I just like to end like with a, with a baseline that's really important for us in Flanders. We have a, an awareness raising campaign. And, and when I translate it, it's called Forget Dementia, Remember the Person. And really like seeing that person behind the dementia, that's really like the key aim of this project. And, and, and I hope we can also move forward on that um, in the future. Exactly. Nobody wants to be a diagnosis. <laughs> no, I don't care what it is you have. And so it shouldn't be any different with dementia. We do, we do need to remove those stigmas and, and get back to just our human connections and our relationships. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lori. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.